We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... And welcome to the Lindley Evans Music Studio at the ABC in Ultimo for Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and this week with the music, it's the stars of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical, Tony Sheldon, David Harris, Ewan Doidge. And our panel, Gene Kitson, Richard Feidler, Tommy Dean. And our audience this week from Ballina, Wollongong, Alsonville, McMaster's Beach, Kyogle and Petersham. But first, as always, here is the news from nowhere. Increasingly, I can't follow the plots of the simplest movies. Jocasta sits on the couch, soaking in every detail, while I'm sprawled on the floor, letting the thing wash over me. I don't think I'm alone in this. In plenty of families, the binge-watching begins at 8pm on a Friday. That's about three hours from now. Many of the adults are a little tired from work. And that half bottle of Shiraz we guzzled as we walked in the door may have pushed us over the edge. Frankly, semi-consciousness is the most that can be expected from us. This, I think, is the perspective missing from much film and TV criticism. The point of view of the man half asleep on the living room floor. Now, the critics should be forced to watch movies, I think, under the same conditions as the rest of us, exhausted and half-pissed on a Friday night. I'd certainly like to see Margaret Pomerantz try it. It certainly changes your opinion of what makes a good show. Certainly, I'm amazed that filmmakers continue to construct dramas in a way that assumes that their audience is awake. It may be time we let them in on the truth. It is impossible, for example, for any male viewer to endure more than 10 minutes of a BBC historical drama without lapsing into unconsciousness. Mere mention of the name Anthony Trollope can cause drowsiness among most men, and certainly heavy machinery should not be operated by anyone who's been exposed to Thackeray. The rule of nature remains... The depth of a man's slumber is equal to the number of bonnets on screen at the time. (laughs) British detective shows are even worse. The plot twisting and turning in a way that's impossible to follow if one has enjoyed even the shortest catnap between scenes. Women appear to enjoy these shows very much, presumably due to the way their husbands are rendered unconscious by 9pm, allowing them to get stuck into the late-night Tim Tams without a witness. Most Friday nights, I'll wake up half an hour later and be forced to ask Jocasta to explain what's happening in the film. She's not very pleasant about it. Isn't he the bad guy? I ask from my vantage point on the floor. Oh, duh, she'll say, rolling her eyes. You are such a duh. Haven't you understood it at all? She'll then go on to explain that the criminal and the police chief both have black hair and therefore look a little similar which I regard as a failure of production. (laughs) The least movie makers could do is ensure that the hero and villain have different hair colour, don't you think? It's reasonable. More to the point, 
I've long argued for the provision of der titles along the lines of the sir titles offered at the Australian Opera. Now, the der titles would appear constantly along the bottom of the screen, explaining what was going on to any viewer who may have lost consciousness during the previous hour or so. You know, things like, he's running away from the police, or these two are having an affair but the husband doesn't know, or the hero and the villain have the same hair colour due to a failure of production. That sort of thing. If the movie makers can manage closed captioning for the hard of hearing, surely they can also manage a little der titling for the intermittently conscious. Not that the situation is all bad. Most films, I find, are improved by a good snooze during the middle hour. You go from the intriguing opening scene straight to the exciting chase at the end. It's true, Jocasta says, I'm just an idiot who chug-a-lugs wine within a minute of walking in the door. But I'd rather think of myself as a chap who knows how to edit a film on the run. And that's the news from nowhere. Uh, Gene is here. Richard Feidler. Tommy Dean, welcome. You know what I, I find even more difficult now is my wife has uh, got me involved with her love affair of uh, what I believe the TV people call Scandi Noir. Oh, yeah. Scandinavian, Scandinavian sort of dramas. Shows, yeah. and, and the problem is, even though they quite often use subtitles and even often use English, uh, it's the names yeah. I can't follow. Yeah. So even if I'm awake, not drunk, and paying attention, it turns out that Flurgan is doing some things over with Sturgeon's house, <laughs> Jurgen's involved, <laughs> and now they've got to go see Hergen, who's going to tell us what's happening with George. <laughs> it's a Russian I, novel yeah, problem, isn't it? Yeah. Fortunately, I can watch those things without subtitles at all, since my time in Iceland means I can understand all those Scandinavian languages and speak them fluently. It's, it's, anyone can do it, really. You just speak English, but you sound like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. That's it. And uh, they can understand it. It's amazing. Well, give us an example of you going to a shop in Iceland. Hello, I would like to buy some of your biscuits, please. And they go, yes, of course. <laughs> That's uncanny when I hear uncanny. that. Uh, let's check you up with this week's news. Who got sick leave after the nation thought he'd taken leave of his senses? Oh. Well, of course, it's Barnaby. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that this is Barnaby's lead story yet again, really. But if you're looking for a not-such-a-good-idea story, I don't know why we didn't start with the Hawaiian government recommending, advising the Hawaiians not to toast marshmallows on a, the lava flow of an active volcano, really. This is true. They did issue yeah. an advisory. Yeah. I know. And likewise, Barnaby. Barnaby is distressed about his private life um, being turned into a reality TV series, which He's essentially is understandable. Toasting, he is toasting the marshmallow that is his love life <laughs> yeah, yeah, against the, a... the, the hot heat that is commercial television. <laughs> Beautifully put, Richard. Exactly. But he's so... putting that marshmallow on the stick of 150,000 dollars, <laughs> which I believe we all would do. But he's having such a hard time. I don't know what his thought process was. I'm having a really hard time um, by the media, and the media is making some money out of it. I know. I want a piece of that. So why don't I give myself a hard time and make some money out of it, which will give me another hard time? And then blame it all on my new partner. And then, well, Whoa. look, I think the whole thing is, like, this isn't a, like a midlife decision, you know, a bad decision. I think this is a 3am with a new baby decision, don't you think? <laughs> you know, he's woken up. Well, like, it's a product of sleeplessness, you think? Sleeplessness, yeah. I think. He should just be quiet and stay on the back bench where there's opportunities for lots of sleep. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. Well, this is a great advantage of having a baby at his age because you're already getting up five times a night. 
Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you reckon, Richard Feidler? Well, I know that one of his colleagues said that he needs a couple of weeks off to recharge his batteries. doesn't sound like they need too much recharging to me, Richard, I think. Uh, but, but let's be fair to him. I think his mates are right. He does need to recharge his batteries, which, as everyone knows, can be a tricky process for Barnaby. Someone's got to pop out the batteries from his back. Uh, replace them with new ones and pop them back in to become fully functional again, Richard. And this battery recharge doesn't come cheap at 150 grand a pop. But once he's got his new batteries, I'm confident he'll be strong enough to go on Channel 7, remember the baby's name, <laughs> jiggle its little arm a little bit and then get back to doing what people expect of him, sucking up all the water from the Murray-Darling system before <laughs> anyone in Adelaide can drink it. <laughs> Tommy Dean, what do you think? You're sympathetic. Come on, we could, he's not that bad, is he? We I mean, here's what mean? I think, though. There's been so much annoyance from the general public. I will only accept all of the whining I have heard coming into this if I find out that the ratings for this show were zero. <laughs> that is now on the people of Australia. We've long this whole week heard the argument to the protocol. Should he have done it? Should he not have done it? Should checkbook journalism exist? Uh, the fact is, if a market is there and he can exploit it, I have no problem with that. So the only thing we can do as the, the people do is not watch. Not watch. Turn I am it so not off. watching that. I'm, I'm going to be putting lard on the dog's boil that night, I think. <laughs> which I'm well, Get, getting the lint out of the washer-dryer, I think, while that's on. Next question. Who trumped Trump in trumpeting her Trump-like views? <laughs> well, we're talking about? here about Roseanne Barr, of yes. course, oh, with her unfortunate and ever so slightly racist tweet about Valerie Jarrett, who was one of uh, Barack Obama's staffers. Uh, look... Her excuse at the time was that she'd taken a sleeping pill, Ambien, uh, and they came back and said that, well, they don't believe that one of the side effects of Ambien is racism. But, uh, <laughs> this not, was the official statement from them. That was the official statement from them, but I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Adolf Hitler was fine until some hippie gave him some chamomile tea. Uh, Genghis Khan was said to have been a lovely chap until some bastard gave him a cup of warm yak's milk at bedtime. Then, then, he, then he got really ugly. But, but as for Roseanne, I think we need to break it down a bit, Richard. Uh, she... She tweeted a stupid joke on Twitter. Then she tweeted an apology for it on Twitter. I apologise, she tweeted. I'm now leaving Twitter forever. Then she tweeted on Twitter that she was leaving Twitter again. Then she went back on Twitter and retweeted hundreds of tweets of support for her original tweet. Then those people retweeted her retweets of their retweets. Then Trump got on Twitter and said, when will someone tweet an apology to me? And then everyone tweeted, apology for what? And he tweeted, for all the mean things people have tweeted about me. And then Roseanne retweeted his retweet of her retweet of their retweets of her tweet. And the internet exploded and we all lived happily ever after. <laughs> So, Roseanne Barr, the John Farnham of Twitter. Oh. <laughs> you know, Roseanne's already admitted that she has seven personalities, right? Uh. She said that she has seven... She's told us that she has at least seven separate personalities. So I'm thinking, which one of them thought that something so obnoxious and so offensive was so obnoxious and so offensive that they should tweet it? that they should put it out there. Where were all the other six personalities? <laughs> if your personality is some sort of committee, why wasn't there a discussion, you know, like a protest, a walkout? Like, what, 
where, where, where were they? Where were well, you they? Don't, you know, maybe you don't feel sorry for her, but you feel sorry for the rest of the cast because the show's been cancelled, of course. And oh, of course. Oh, oh, we're getting serious now. Well, no. I, uh, oh, that felt serious. Well, to no. Me, yeah. I, I fear. I fear for John Goodman. Where's his next meal coming from? Oh, I know. I know. And that. Uh, well, I, uh, yes. All I can say to that is yes. That's sad. But no, then, just so we're clear. On. No, we, we're on. pasting over that like it matters. Just so we're clear. Uh, I believe that the second reboot was one of the most horrendous and internally racist shows already <laughs> created, and it was completely foul. It was not funny. It was terrible, and everything that it stood for is just the worst. So I think all of them need to have a hard look at themselves and go get a proper job. The couch, uh, the couch, uh, the couch so, okay, let's say there's only two Now imagine what would happen if I tweeted that. Uh, okay, let's Luckily, imagine there's only... There's on only radio, and there's I don't only, remember saying it. I've been taking some Xanax. There's only two television shows on Sunday. You can watch Barnaby Joyce or Roseanne. What are you watching? <laughs> well, I want to watch Barnaby Joyce. Uh, can I just say that if she said she tweeted all this on these sleeping pills... They obviously weren't working, <laughs> unless she tweeted in her sleep. Yeah. And, so your you know, advice is take more. And, well, it's no excuse anyway. I mean, even you know, wild turkey and meth is no excuse either. Just ask Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> which bi- no, next question from this week's news? Which business lost its sizzle when it tried to snag the UK market? <laughs> no. I I like I like stories when. The story is people lost half a billion dollars. It's one of my favorite stories. I think that's the least of it. I think they lost one and a half billion, actually. That's even that's three <laughs> times better than my favorite story. Because I love it when companies you suddenly realize, oh my god, they are so big that they lost one and a half billion dollars, and they thought, well, that's a bad day. But we'll get it back. We'll have a sausage sizzle out the front. <laughs> That'll raise a few dollars. Okay, so the story is Bunnings, right? Bunnings. Bunnings attempted to build a Bunnings brand in England, failing to remember that they still have castles. (laughs) (laughs) And no one renovated them. No one in England wants to renovate their house. I'm assuming it's because they're lazy. They've, they've sold it to another business for one pound, but I'm prepared to this pay... This is true. This one is true. Pound, yeah. They've sold it. This is actually true. They've uh, sold it to a restructuring specialist for one pound. I'm prepared to offer two pounds if I can get some help in aisle six to buy a garden hose, <laughs> mm-hmm. quite, quite frankly. I, I actually think West Farmers does need one of those in-store handymen to sit in on board meetings to sort of set them straight. It could be like, well, should we spend $700 million buying a change of stores in the UK? Or what does Darren think? Won't work, mate. <laughs> Why not, Darren? Well, you can't plug an Australian business model into a UK standard gauge franchise socket. Stick one of those things into a British network, next thing you know, the lights go out and the cat gets electrocuted. It won't work, mate. <laughs> well, what should we do, Darren? Oh, look, I'd like to help, mate, but I'm actually getting a tin of paint from someone in old 12, so, so I'm off, mate. Thanks. So it won't they work. always say. Yeah. My favourite part of this story is that serious business analysts say the main problem is that they hadn't figured out that people don't do a lot of gardening and don't love standing around in the sunshine eating a sausage because mm. it's cold. <laughs> they haven't looked that's up the right. temperature in England. Yeah, that's, I think that's yeah. part of the problem. Part I of mean, it. I just, I, in D- Disneyland, when Disneyland opened Disney World in France, no one was coming because all the cafes and restaurants were dry. And then someone was bold enough to suggest that French people drink. They like to drink. Even really young French people drink, you know, with a snack and with food and not mm-hmm. necessarily a lot. And so they tried wine in the cafes and restaurants and they were, you know, bowled over in the rush. Do you and think I, that would have worked for Bunnings? Yeah. Well, I think... 
<laughs> Things could get ugly, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah the electric alarm. Yeah. But I think they should have ditched the barbecue for exactly yeah. the reason you were saying, and I think they should have installed some cramped Laminex tea rooms, you know, Laminex tea rooms with rain on the outside of the windows and condensation on the inside and big pots of stewed tea and biscuits, you break your tea. And there's really and... greasy bacon sandwiches on white bread. Yeah, Ooh. that's right. And then the ponds could all crowd together in dripping raincoats and complain about the weather and somewhere where they'd be really happy and miserable together. <laughs> <laughs> or they can have soccer matches in the aisle. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Anything, anything's going to work other than what they did. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Mm. And they sell, and batting sells quite good stuff. It works. So, you know, the palms have nothing to complain about. Mm. No, I, oh, love, I, you, I you love your idea. You know, f- five glasses of Chardonnay at the Chardonnay <laughs> sizzle and then home with an electric saw. It's going to work very well. Now, on ABC TV, Annabelle Crabb's new show, uh, Back in Time for Dinner. Have you been watching that? It's great. Uh, It's brought new appliances, uh, a new appreciation of the domestic devices that make life easier, reminding us of this time before fridges, vacuum cleaners, washing machines and microwaves. What's the outmoded technology you were most pleased to see the back of and what is the greatest device of all the new ones they've come up with? Tommy Dean. There's so many. Uh, I don't know which ones I want to get rid of because I just love them all. Um... But I, I more meant really the the, the, the stuff when, when your mother finally managed to get rid of the uh, maybe the copper and get the washing machine. That was a great moment, wasn't it? In people. Yes, lives. yes. Well, well, it was disappointing for us because we used to do it, of course, down at the river. <laughs> <laughs> so when we finally diverted that thing, <laughs> got ourselves a proper washing machine. <laughs> My favorite is the opposite because in Arizona, Arizona is deeply arid. And uh, we always had a dryer, and I had always... I've never even been that environmentally concerned, but enough to recognize that when the sun lives with you, (laughs) you should probably not own a dryer. Um, But there's actually scientific proof now that people in Arizona all use dryers because the sun is so harsh that a dryer is easier on your clothes than the sun. (laughs) So we just continually spend money on that. Uh, You know the one I hated the most? We had an electric uh, aluminum can smasher. Mm. That you know, when you recycled aluminum, so you'd finish your your soda and you'd put it in the machine and press the button, and it would slowly squash it into a little puck oh, of aluminum. Because we used to use our foot. We used. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it felt like we were born to smash aluminum <laughs> in the proper fashion that God intended, not with electricity. Uh, but I'm back in the kitchen a lot these days, and the one I love the most, and I'm just going to is the stand mixer. If you don't have a stand mixer, you don't have a kitchen. It is the most amazingly exciting thing that I have ever... I can I make bread. Uh, you can whisk up meringues. Uh, it, there's nothing it doesn't do. Um, in fact, uh, I, have, I just occasionally have smalls, like very delicate smalls <laughs> that the washing machine is too rough on. <laughs> so I just use the paddle attachment on the knead setting of my stand mixer. Would you like to go to Tommy's for dinner, dinner, dinner tonight? So perfect. And then I serve foam bread. Very popular foaming bread. <laughs> it comes up little bubbles of dough. mix bread. Yeah. Jean Kitson, what were you uh, pleased Take to see the soap. back of in your household? Your oh, parents? God, I did, the list goes on and on and on. But I just, you know, I reflect on all those 
things that we had to do that took a lot of time, like beating cream by hand. It would take forever and we'd have to sit with the tea towel and the bowl and, you know, the kids had to do it, beating the cream. And then, but I don't like dishwashers because the chemicals that are needed to dissolve the stuff off your plates, because we used elbow grease, which Mm -hmm. is organic and sustainable and Mm. recyclable, and now you put in these pellets that are highly alkaline and just dissolve things. And also we used to do a lot of bonding over the washing up. You know, one would wash, one would dry, one would put away. And as kids we'd all complain about missing Bonanza. But, you know, we were there together. And then we had this, we got, we, we went from a copper to a, like a mangle, mangle sort of thing, um, a washing machine with, a, with the arm and the squeezer. And then we went to a twin top, which was like the worst invention ever. It took hours to do the washing. But at the same time, my sister and I, that was our job, we'd have to do the washing. And I remember lots of really great times over the washing. I remember one time my mum came out, Saturday morning we'd do the washing, and she said to my sister and I, follow me. She said, I've got something I want to talk to you about. So we walked out the back door and right up the, up the paddock to the, um, to the pumpkin patch, which was under the clothesline. And she said to us, and she was actually giving us a sex education talk, and I did, we didn't realise She took you time. to the pumpkin patch. Yeah, and she said, girls, I want you to look, and here's the, I want you to look at this flower. That's a, that's a female flower. And then we'd wade through these big prickly pumpkin leaves, and then she'd go, and now over here, this is a male pumpkin flower. And then she said, oh, no, hang on a sec, that's the same. Um, and then, then she'd look for another and she goes, and this one's a... Ma- no, that's the same, I'll forget it. And that was our sex education. But, you know, lots of things It happened. started with a twin tub. Yeah. started with the twin tub, lots of time. And, yeah, it's just... Like, there's nothing... Everything we had back then that is now, like what Tommy's talking about, is just what we had back then, only now you can plug it in. Hmm. I mean, we had beaters and mixers. Yeah, and yeah the, the ones that you actually rotated around, that was the gear in the middle and it was yeah, like a yeah. hand mixer. That, all those oh, I've still got ones. They're good. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, I use yeah, them. Really good. I use them. Oh, really? And they make a clacking sound. You know you're cooking when things are going clacking. Clackety clack. Yeah. Annabelle had all this technology from she the did. 50s, which is now... Yeah, it's all redundant. But look, you know, the, the one bit of technology that's on its way out at the moment is the CD, thanks to music streaming. And I am so glad to see the CD go. I always hated CDs, the plastic jewel case that would shatter so easily, the fact you can't read sleeve notes on them. It was always a step backwards from LPs and the sound quality was terrible. Every time I put them on my turntable uh, it just sounded <laughs> sound awful. And, and while we're at it, I've just moved into a new house. There's this strange bit of old technology. There's a strange alarm in my new house that mysteriously goes bing bong at the exact same time that someone's at the door. Now, <laughs> now that's really weird because every time someone comes to the door, I have to say, oh, hang on a sec, I've just got to find out where this alarm's going before I can actually get to on the front door. I want to see that go too, Richard. And the f- people say people aren't uh, not only are not answering the phone, the door anymore, they're not answering the phone anymore. No, people I don't, I don't answer the door or answer the phone. No. no, no. no well, well known hermit, trouble. Richard Fiber. Yeah, is that's right. No, yeah. Jean gets I don't get out of bed anymore. You yeah. know, like it's no. just going to be trouble. Because <laughs> every time I answer the phone, I say, Hello, sir, we want to tell you about a car accident you've been involved in. We are at the insurance company. Is this a scam? Why would this be a scam? <laughs> okay, are your parents proud of you? Yes, they are. And then they hang up on you. So that's why you don't answer the phone anymore. <laughs> now, are you ready for the wheel of death, ladies and gentlemen? When our audience came in, they threw these random topics onto this chocolate wheel. The topics are art, exam, storm, pickle, cat, Italian election, baby. Uh, these are very fancy words oh, this week. Yes. Entropy. Oh. Entropy? Yeah. 
Oh, thank you for nothing. And how's he meant to do entropy? Do you know what entropy is? Second law of therm- thermodynamics. It oh, should be thank- a breeze thanks- for Tommy to do that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Circus, stuttering, hairbrushes, youth, vivid, sheep, and we're back to art, which fools you full of fear, well, Tommy. I really did. I want to go positive. We always talk about the fear. Yeah, I okay. really hope it's Italian elections, because if there's anything I'm across, <laughs> <laughs> it's politics in general, but specifically Italian yeah, politics. I don't believe that, but let's spin the wheel, round and round and round it goes, where it stops. Stuttering is the topic. We are not going to make fun of that. No? <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> Who suggested that and have you got a stutter? <laughs> no, 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 he says. <laughs> this is my favourite. This is my favourite. Still, I still... This is, uh, this is just a story. Uh, when I first moved to this fine country, I was assaulted by accents from every place. It seemed that my first wife and her brother who lived together... Uh, we all lived in the same house and everybody like, so I lived with, uh, her who was a proper Australian elocution lesson lady. She was quite fine. Uh, her brother was from Dubbo. That was my first challenge. Uh, he used words that sounded thesaurus like from English, but then they had a certain anger at the end that I could never quite interpret. His best mate was Egyptian. Um, his girlfriend was from, uh, deep country Melbourne. Uh, her friend that used to come up all the time was Haitian. And then there was uh, three different kinds of English. There was like Northern English. There was classic Cockney. And then there was the guy that used to work on a news channel. I don't know what he was on about. Um, but all at once. So I've never been involved in any accents at all. And suddenly I had all of these accents. And my wife at the time, she was very good at just knowing who it was by the accent. Who she heard the accent? Oh, Greg's friend is here. Oh, Lily's girl is here. Oh, the accent, the accent, the accent. So one night we're all at a little party, and uh, a guy walks in, and Greg says, Hey, you guys all remember Steve, don't you? And my wife went, Wait, 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 let me guess. You are, I remember Steve. Steve, you're from France. Is that right? And he's like, Wait, wait. I know you. I'm trying to remember how I remember you. I'm going to get it from your accent, but don't do it yet because I remember. I remember you, Steve. You're from Germany, right? It's somewhere in Europe, Germany. N- 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 hold on. <laughs> Are you the one from Finland? Greg does have a friend from Finland. N- 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 oh, Steve. Now I remember. Hi. <laughs> So beautifully awkward. <laughs> so beautifully awkward. It's a magical thing, stuttering. Um, but I had the classic. I had a friend in high school that stuttered, and uh, but yeah, he could sing like an angel, you know. And and then, but but it was weird because he always said, "Why don't you just?" We wanted to make him like opera guy. Why don't you just sing your whole life? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a more beautiful place if you just everything you sang, just sing? You know, I would like a biscuit. <laughs> can, I, can, can, can I have a cookie? Just sing it, John. Just sing it. <laughs> but it's a difficult. So his whole life would, would would be like a musical. Would be it like would be musical. Yeah. It would be so good. Uh, it's a curious one because I I had a lisp. Uh, so I was in the speech pathology area of the school. So we had uh, two guys who stuttered. Uh, I had a lisp, and then uh, another guy had a hair lip and spoke quite fine. But for some reason, he got logged with us. I don't know how the school worked these things out. Uh, but they decided we all were in the same group. Uh, <laughs> 
the troublesome people. <laughs> but it's such a it's I, it's one of the weirdest ones I think of all the really small ailments. It's just one of the I've never quite understood how, and I don't think they really do know. There's many reasons why and how and what stuttering comes from. Um, but I just think it's really it's like some sort of vocal hiccup that just won't let go. And um, John just suffered with it so bad. Except what he sang. Except what he sang. Why would that release it and let him sing? And how did you get over your lisp? I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> well, technically, I don't have a lisp. I have what's called a lateral S, uh, which means the S escapes out the side, whereas the classic lisp is the tongue hitting the teeth wrong there. But my S laterals out the side. Oh, I just hit me. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the problem right there. Um, but it's difficult. I just, it's, you know, these little fun quirks, you know, little fun quirks of humanity that I think keep us all level. That was nice. But Steve, Steve, what was great about Steve is once you got to know him, uh, not only did he stutter, he was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so part of me thought the universe was just trying to protect us <laughs> from all the really horrible things he would say to people. If he had the chance. If he had the chance. There you go, does, does he, he do? die? Does he live? Don't. He lives. Oh, He's not allowed to sing. Thank God it's Friday with Richard Glover. That was like the punchline. That was like one of the worst. Well, you wouldn't be politically correct these days, but the the Bible salesman. It's the Bible salesman joke. No, go on. It's that. It's, it's the classic stuttering joke. The guy comes to the door and uh, has Bibles, and uh, the guy says, "Oh no, mate, I don't want. I don't want to buy any Bibles." He says, "No, no, no. You have to. You have. You have, you have to buy a b- 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 Bible." No, no, not buying it. Not buying it. No matter what you do, p- 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 please b- 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 buy a Bible. Says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if I don't buy a Bible? R- 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 read it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels mean. <laughs> Gene Kitson, Richard Feidler, and Tommy Dean are here now. The ANU, the, the Australian National University, has announced that from 2020, it will be looking beyond exam results to choose its students, trying to get a sense of the whole person, including whether they'd excelled at volunteering or working part-time or participating in school leadership or excelling in sports, gaming, performance or competitions. If at the end of school you'd had to sell yourself to a uni admissions officer, what are the skills you'd be mentioning in the interview? Jean Kitson. Well, first of all, if you were a whole person when you left school, you wouldn't have to go to university. (laughs) I mean, if you leave school and you're a whole person, you've either repeated HSC like seven times and you're now running your own startup company and you're 30 or something. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And think, I just can't believe the pressure on kids already, let alone now they have to be a whole person. They have to do leadership and volunteering and gaming and sports, although that is really easy to fudge. I've fudged, I've fudged a hell of a lot of things to get into different places, including... Um, uni, jobs and everything. So well, you've lied on the CV. But, uh, what? You lied on your CV. Oh, yeah, no, I lied in person. <laughs> no, no, I remember for my first job the guy goes, can you, you know, I was going for a job as a secretary and he said, can you type? And I said, yes. He didn't say how many words. <laughs> and I thought, anyone could type. Can you do bookkeeping? And I thought, oh, well, I've kept my books at school. <laughs> yes. And then you you said, imagine that involved putting the plastic on. I had no idea what he was talking about. And then he said, reconciliations, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm all for reconciliations. (laughs) That's just weird. It doesn't sound like you're lying. It sounds like you just literally don't know what he was asking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's different. It is different. The the third kind of the law, the lie of... (laughs) 
Ignorance. <laughs> well, yeah, the lie of non-disclosure, yeah. non-full disclosure. Yeah, fudging, I yeah. would call it, rather than lying. But who doesn't lie? But you lie in every single interview you ever take, don't you? Yeah, so when you're a kid, like if you're a student, excel in volunteering means you go for the beer run. And leadership means you get someone else to go on the beer run. <laughs> and gaming and, and sports um, can mean that you are a gold medal standard at Never Have I Ever and Hot Seat and On the Bus, which are young people's drinking games, <laughs> including Druno, which is Drunk Uno. How did you research this matter? I asked my daughters. <laughs> and I'd never understood what they were playing before, and now I know. <laughs> Druno, drunk Uno, and never have I ever. I can't imagine what sort of game. There's there's a couple of young people in this audience. They're laughing. What is never have I ever? I, I used to play Dirty Scrabble at uni, which is you can do whatever spelling you like, just so long as it's vaguely filthy. And Tim Ferguson always used to win. He won once with Slurped Me Raw once, just spelled in a with a whole bunch of letters which don't really make sense. But I, I thought I can't I can't compete with that. Well, if you had to go to the uni's admissions well, officer, though, well, well, this is kind of like an anxiety dream I used to have. You know, it's where you have to sort of go. Like I, I, I did arts at uni, and I had a friend who did commerce. I said, "What? Is, what? Are, I, don't, I never could figure out what a commerce degree was." I said, "What do you?" Do? And he says, uh, mainly stats. And I thought, well, what is what is that? You sit there with a clicker and count as people go by. What is it? A commerce degree. But I think I've got it all figured out now, Richard. I think if I was going for a commerce degree, I'd say I, I can offer myself as an ideas man. That's what I would say. I'm an ideas man. And I give them an idea. How about this one? How about we shift the GST to a scratchy system? Now, now, hear me out on this. You, you, that way you get the price tag and you get a coin and you, and you scratch off to see how much GST you'd pay on each item. <laughs> that way most of us would pay bugger all and one poor bastard would have to pay $400,000 in a Mars bar. <laughs> right. Ideas, man. Ideas right here. Good. Let's bring it in. Tommy Dean, would you have got into uni under this new system? I think so. I think, like you say, you just, you just scramble the words. They love the Weasel words these days. So I, I was actually uh, heavily involved in the distribution of uh, local news. <laughs> um, big time in that. Uh, How were you involved? Well, I was a paperboy. <laughs> <laughs> loaded up my bicycle every morning and threw 300 papers. But I, I felt like I was at the forefront of the informational digital age. I was, I was in the information business. I used to do that. Uh, pantry management. I was big in pantry management and, um, you know, charity. It was a charity kitchen that we worked out of. Uh, but what that means is that I just let my friends come over and we just got stuff out of the <laughs> pantry and had it. And eat, ate it. Yeah, yeah. ate all the stuff my mom made. Canned food drives were quite handy. We always had lots of cans in the house. <laughs> food uh, we did that. Uh, automobile, we, uh, not only automobile repair, but uh, we were like valet. We were like valets, so like volunteer parking. Um, that was, again, uh, some would call that joyriding. <laughs> we saw it as a service. <laughs> the neighborhood that we lived in, people thought it was quite an honest neighborhood. They leave their keys in the car. We just felt they parked in the wrong place, so we'd move them around <laughs> and bring them back. And, well, that was handy. Uh, leadership, you know, we used to lead. A, you know, that's all you needed. We used to lead. Uh, you'd have, like, the scouts. We were, we were all Boy Scouts. Uh, cookie sales, we, you know, we used to, like, we were Boy Scouts aren't cookie salesmen, uh, but... If, through the leadership that we had put together, you raid the Girl Scouts' pantry and take all of their cookies and then sell them the day before they're meant to sell them at half price, you'd be surprised how many you could sell. Mm. <laughs> we sold a lot of Girl Scout cookies, 100% profit. I think they'd give you the commerce degree without having to sit for it, actually. So good. <laughs> so good. Uh, we were Here's a job as head of the Commonwealth Bank. <laughs> 
But I don't, I don't know. It was, it's funny how you look at my, my son. In fact, just today, actually, we were at a meeting with my son's uh, uh, careers counselor guy. And they have, I was quite surprised to see this very extensive test that they have taken. And then the, the way it lays out is, here's the information you've given us. And then these long lines move out to various different ideas of the career path. And the fatter the line, the more likely that would be you as this test revealed it. So my son's fat line went to things like uh, waiter. <laughs> and a very, very skinny, skinny line went to jobs that pay money. <laughs> but he's, he's, but he was, he's a people person. But all of the all of the jobs at the other end, I was like looking at this thing going, hey man, these are great jobs. Electricity, I mean electrician, all the trades. Nope, 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 no. Nope. Oh, look at that. You are you are a people person. You can be a policeman or a waiter. Right. <laughs> There's no reason you can't combine those. I see you have an order, sir. I'm gonna have to find you for that. <laughs> He'll be fine once he uh, gets G to help him with his C V. Well, exactly. You know, I, I only did a teaching degree, like at um, this uh, state college, because um, I wrote a letter. I was too late for the application. They were the days, too late to get the application in. And then I rang up and said, but I really want to do the course, a Bachelor of Education in Media, Dance and Drama. And they said, I'll write a letter about yourself. So I did. And then they rang up and said, oh, you're in. And I was known as a letter writer. Hmm. Imagine being able to get into uni like that nowadays. I know. It's were you good at the brilliant. dance? The, the dance? Were you good at the dance? I was... No, I only danced so I would keep fit enough to drink, really. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really dance. Do they, say that, do they say that with, like, a happy tone in their voice or a sort of a... <laughs> like when they called you the letter writer, they, was it happy? Oh, look, it's the letter writer. No, they were worried because I had uh, wrote a letter about myself and my family writer. and they just freaked out, uh, I think. Yeah, the letter writer. Let's not, letter let's writer. not upset her. <laughs> <laughs> we have Gene Kitson, Richard Feiler, Tommy Dean and our wonderful audience. Thank you for coming. So thank God it's Friday. Now, the British have begun a campaign against food waste after the revelation that around $30 billion worth of food is tossed out each year. Supermarkets in the UK are now removing the best buy dates from products to discourage households from throwing out food that's still safe. And the, and the government is providing tips on how to use up leftovers. How would you rate if we measured your throwout score? Richard Feidler. Oh, terrible. Terrible, I'm afraid. Uh, I, I normally refuse to eat my dinner unless someone makes a giant volcano out of mashed potato like this, this thing that's like this, and puts my dinner on the top and lets gravy run like lava down the side, and then we've got to do this whole thing with aeroplanes and in your mouth and all that. Yeah. I'm a nightmare, and, and, and you, you toast You toast marshmallows on the volcano, though. <laughs> I do. I'm a, I'm a nightmare. Forget about it. I, I'd lose. I, I do terribly. Jen, do you throw you, do you, are you careful with the leftovers? I'm terrible with the leftovers. I'm like, my, my husband reckons I sniff use-by dates. <laughs> I am so weird about use-by dates. But um, I think, um, think use-by dates are useful for people... Um, uh, are useful for people who are born without noses, mm, really. Exactly. Then that's the only reason you use them. I mean, I was a big thing about use by dates, but I realised the error of my ways. They're not ne necessarily necessary at all, and they're just made up by bureaucrats, I think. Who well, the UK they're keeping the use by date, which is when it's unsafe to eat, but they're getting rid of the best by date, which is uh, it might be a bit stale. I don't even think 
used by dates are any good. I mean, that's a, you know, they even have used by dates on frozen food and tin food and dried food, which is we have frozen and tin and dried, so they don't have used by dates, really. I actually saw a thing the other day which had a, a it was like a, a, a package of, of uh, you know, that kind of pink salt you get, mm-hmm. and it said, uh, created it for in a million years in the side of a rock somewhere. Used by a date, 7th of February. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't just... Fr- well, you're one of those people with the chest freezer in the garage with the chicken that was 10 years old down the bottom that you'd root around and find. Yeah, yeah. I, I do put things in the freezer to keep them and then a year later I find them underneath the old pizza bases that I've also bought thinking I use them and I don't. And they're so frosted up with ice you can't even see what they're in and then you're hacking away and then you get to the plastic container and then, then you thaw it out and by the time you've done all that... It's really disgusting, and you just throw it out anyway. So you know, like the, you just you just can't win with leftovers. How, how are you with your leftovers, yeah. Tommy Dean? We just, we just did it recently. We had to defrost the freezer. We had one. There was one corner block that was, and the same thing. You hack through all the frost, and you finally get it all off. And you know, it was in the middle of it. One of those freezer packs for your esky. <laughs> <laughs> what? You're planning Saturday dinner on that. So good. <laughs> when I was living in Brisbane, we used to actually catch cane toads off the front lawn, and the humane way to kill them is to actually put them in a plastic bag, which is really creepy because they still wriggle and thrash about, and put them in your freezer. And, and, but the problem is you forget about them. That's, <laughs> that's the problem. And next, next time you sort of go, oh, dear God, what is that? <laughs> that thing, and you always worry it's going to reanimate. And there'll be this kind of, eh, you know, there'll be a power blackout, the cane toad will sort of groggily come to life. And the next thing you know, it'll be poised above your bed in the middle of the knife with a knife and stab you to death. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've always thought. Well, a little part of you thinks maybe I should make soup. <laughs> <laughs> that's like placentas. Remember when it was called, a, you know, when you, wind chime and tree fern used to keep their placenta in the fridge, mm. uh, in the freezer? And until the babysitter, you know, thanks you for the casserole you've yeah. ever had. <laughs> didn't you I, plant, I thought you planted it, didn't you? Put them in the backyard and plant a tree on it? Oh, yeah, it? that happened to a friend of mine. She did this whole ritual. She was up in Maynard near Mullumbimby in, you know, in the 70s and they um, put the placenta and put it under... And when they got up there and did rituals and full moon and the tree, and when they got up the next morning, the dog had dug it up. <laughs> <laughs> To take it to a better place, <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. But my aunt used to always say, will we throw it out today or tomorrow? Yeah, so, you know, about yeah. leftovers. I think and the worst problem about leftovers is storing it, because I cook, you know, we cook, we have a dinner. Usually what happens is we have two or three dinners in a row, and then the fourth day you have, a, like, you know, a buffet of leftovers mm-hmm. from the three meals before. But what I'm starting to find is the children are getting picky, and so I now feel that not only am I wasting food, I'm wasting energy and washing by storing the trash for three days, and then throwing it away. But I just threw it away when we were done the dinner, done with it. It's I done. think you've got to dress it up more. Uh, traditional Australian way, you call it YMCA on that fourth day. Mm. Yesterday's muck cooked again. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got to give it a better title. Here's my theory. Spring roll wrappers. Just discovered them. Yeah. Everything goes in spring roll wrappers. <laughs> Deep fried. Anything. Everything. Just wrap it up. What's in there? Hard to know. Let's find out. <laughs> It's mystery log night. (laughs) Who were the winners and losers of this week? Richard Feidler. Uh, The winner of the week for me is Kim Kardashian West, I think, Richard, who went to meet Donald Trump in the White House. And for the first time in her life, she was the least weird person (laughs) in that room. (laughs) Uh, Loser of the week for me has to be the poor guy who has the catering contract for the One Nation party room in (laughs) Parliament House. The guy keeps losing paying customers as Pauline Hanson's senators keep on walking out. And, uh, so when Pauline Hanson says, 
Oh, I've had a gutful. She literally means she's had a gutful because she's had to eat all the sandwiches. <laughs> Jean Kitson, who were the winners and losers? Oh, of this just week? on the on the um, Trump and Kim, Kim Kardashian. Someone had a headline: Trump meets Rump. <laughs> but the winner is Italy, which now has its third government in eight days, a personal best. And the losers of the week are people who toasted marshmallows on the Hawaiian volcano. The marshmallows, marshmallows melted OK, but so did the sneakers. <laughs> and the people. Well, that was a mistake. That's what I was going to say. The losers are the people that use marshmallows, and they clearly should have been using hot dogs. That is a heat you want for a hot dog. Yeah. That would have been great. Uh, and the big, uh, the big uh, loser slash winner, I love things like this, uh, the valet parker at the... Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> was, Who saw the photograph? <laughs> the, uh, so good. This is yeah. the best photo. $180,000 Porsche, and he drove it under a car. <laughs> how did he drive it under? How do you, how do, you do that? I, I think it's that classic you know, like sitcom moment where he's revving the Porsche. He feels all hot. <laughs> I'm in the super rich car. Snaps it into drive, thinking it was reverse. And it just and rams it's, yeah, it. It's, it's low slung car, so it right. gets yeah. under a gets know, under. Volvo. It has that much power; it can work its way in. <laughs> and so the photograph shows this car entirely under the under other the car. I, I saw he, it. Yeah. he had to get yeah. cut out of it oh. by police. He's the valet. He's the working as the valet. Well, he's sorry. I, I correct myself. I hate making mistakes. He's the former valet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but he may, may, he's you know doing what, a part time job. He might get into uni. Yeah. But at first off, you always there's always it's like the Bunnings thing. There's always a great you know you love it when a really stupidly rich car gets destroyed. It just makes me so happy. Why were you spending all that money on a car? But part of me thinks they could have probably just got him out quite handily. But one of the firemen just feels the same way. <laughs> we could just back it up. Nope, get the jaws of life. <laughs> Please thank Gene Kitten, Richard Fiber, and Tommy Dean. Thanks for being part of Thank God It's Friday. Next week, Tommy will be back with Rebecca De Unamuno and Anthony Ackroyd. Music from David Campbell from the Sondheim musical Assassins. I'm Richard Glover. Until then, thank God it's Friday. Yeah.